Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, the Astros buttered up Charlie Morton with a nice welcome home video. And then they turned it into a horror movie. Six runs he gives up in four innings. And it was just an absolute bashing by the Astros as we're doing this podcast. The Rays are trailing 15-1. to Joey Wendell with the uh, only lone run on a homer. Justin Verlander was dealing. He was up 9 to nothing, And then after a double by Tommy Pham, he was tossed out of the game for arguing with the umpire. So that was interesting. JPP. That's right, Justin Pierre-Paul. He was at Bucks practice. No neck brace for him. That's a good news. There's also a report that he can begin his rehab. We'll tell you what that means. In a tragic story about a Montgomery Biscuits pitcher, that's the Rays AA farm team, Blake Bivens learned that his wife and child were among three people shot dead in Virginia. His wife's brother is in police custody. We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Along with producer uh, Steve Versnick, let's start with the Rays. And as I mentioned, uh, they're trailing 15-1. to 1. This game is uh, nearly over down into the eighth inning. Of course, we've got you know, one of their infielders, I guess. Uh, and Mike Brasso on the mound for the third time yeah. this year for the Rays. <laughs> nice job for him. Is He's got the mop out. Um, did give up a home run, however. This thing, you know, you thought that this was going to be a classic pitching matchup, right? Verlander against uh, Morton, and, uh, of course, you know, Morton meant so much to the Astros, especially during their uh, World Series run. And so, predictably, you know, I think it's his first time back to Houston, if I'm not mistaken, since he's come to the Rays. And, and they, you know, the fans gave him a terrific ovation. I think they tried to weaken him, soften him up a little bit. He was a little, <laughs> seemed a little emotional before the game when they played this really heartfelt video, you know, and there's lots of signs and stuff, you know, throughout – Minimum eight ballpark, and uh, and then he went out there and threw batting practice. <laughs> I mean, he uh, he got out of a jam, you know, with only two runs given up uh, early in the game. Actually, did a nice job trying to navigate that, but then just caught too much of the plate. You know, obviously these hitters have watched him throw; they they sort of know how he approaches things. But he he just he just threw the ball around the plate way too much, and uh, man, he was bashed. And, and hit hard, as was everybody else the race through at the Houston Astros. Yeah, that lineup right now, particularly at home, is red hot. They've, oh. been, they've been on a heck of a streak at home right now. And look, there's a reason they're one of the three best teams in baseball. I mean, sure. you want to say Yankees, Astros, Dodgers, take your pick of which one you think is the best. But those are the three best teams. I think they've yeah. pretty much separated themselves from everyone else in that category. And look, their offense can rake. And they're doing it tonight against the Rays. And, you know, you felt... You you know you know Morton wanted to do well coming back to Houston, and for the first couple innings, it looked like it was going to be a good pitching matchup. Sure, um, but then you know the Astros do what they do, and they started beating them up, and then it was Kittredge and Chaz Rowe, and now you have Mike Brasso pitching. I'll tell you, I you know there's some there are, there's some forty something games over five hundred and close to the Yankees for the best record in baseball, but 
Man for man, if you just look at that pitching staff, um, maybe you could quibble with some of the, the late guys in the bullpen. I don't really know. But that lineup is unbelievably um, good, and there's really you know no weak spots. So I was listening to the broadcast, and, of course, Todd Callis, who used to be with the Rays, is now the play-by-play guy in Houston. And so Dave and Andy you know, sat down with him at dinner prior to the game, and they said, you know, tell us, what what perceived weakness would the Astros have going into the postseason? He goes, uh, maybe the eight nine hitters. <laughs> what? <laughs> the what? The eight nine hitters? Oh my! You know, um, the Rays have a whole lineup full of those guys. So it's funny how the other half lives, right? And here's the Rays that are you know entered today twenty games over five hundred, which is no slouch themselves, and you know in a virtual tie for the second wild card spot, you know, and just behind um, Cleveland, I guess, for the first one. And, you know, they look so overmatched, you know, in this game anyway, with, with their ace on the mound of all things. And so, you know, going into it, you would say, you know, this was their best chance to maybe steal a win, you know, against the Astros. Uh, of course, Verlander has been very, very good this year. Um, and it was it was just what you had not hoped for. And so that's three losses in a row. They lost the last two games in Baltimore. The bats weren't any good there in those two games. Same thing kind of continued against against Verlander, who has found sort of the fountain of youth there in Houston. I mean, he was – I remember him kind of on his last legs a little bit with the Tigers, you know, and the velocity wasn't what it should be. And, um, boy, when he went to Houston – at the end of that, you know, World Series run and was a big part of that. And then ever since, I mean, this guy looks like the Tom Brady on the hill. Um, you know, there's, there's no slowing down, and he's just got, you know, fastball, slider, curveball, and throws them all for strikes. The other day he got beat 2 to nothing by his former Tigers teams. Um, giving up, He's given up like 33 home runs, which is which 34 now, which is a ton. Uh, but he was beating 2-1 to one in, in a complete game. You know, he's just been – he's been lights out. Yeah, he, oh, he absolutely has it. But you have to be worried about the Rays right now. I mean, sure. this is now six out of eight games they've given up six runs or more. Mm-hmm. And the bats are really cold right now. Yes, they, they are. They scored seven in, in an early inning on Friday night against the Orioles, and that was the only seven runs they had in the game. Mm-hmm. They scored one on Sunday, or uh, one on Saturday, three on Sunday, and a lot of those right. came late when the game was already over. Now they've got one tonight, in, you know, as they're in the bottom of the eighth in Houston. Right. Their pitching is not – performing the way you need it to, and their bats are cold. Not and a good combination. I, it's a terrible combination, but I, I would submit to you a little bit that when you fall behind early in games, mm-hmm. right, um, it affects how you can hit. It just does. I mean, psychologically, you, you know, you're down five or six runs early. But also, you know, the other team has the luxury of just attacking hitters. You yep. know, um, they're, not, they're not trying to nibble. They're not going to walk anybody. Um, they're coming after you with their best stuff. Um, and you know, there's, you know, momentum, you feel momentum in every sport. And, you know, when you, when you're not pitching well and you're standing out there for long innings, um, like, like the ones that the Astros had, uh, you know, some 25, 26, 30 pitches an inning, you know, that, that takes the starch out of your legs. And then before you know it, you're in the dugout and you're back out there again. And all of that, you know, it's a team game, right? And so defense can, can definitely, affect you know the offense and and just the whole mood and mentality remember the rays you know when they win games and when especially the first month of the season 
they were jumping on top of everybody. Well, I was just you know, going to say were, that. Scoring, the, the first, first inning their runs. Their first inning runs were unbelievable. And that sets the tone. And the opposite is true. That, you know, when you go out there and, you know, your starting pitcher, especially if it's Charlie Morton or somebody you think you have a chance, and, you know, before you know it, you're down, you know, six to nothing um, psychologically and otherwise. And then, like I said, it affects how teams are able to play you defensively and how they're able to attack you on the mound and just how the pitcher feels. I mean, look, I feel a lot better even if I'm Justin Verlander and he can pitch in any situation. But, you know, for everybody else, we saw Baltimore do this as well. You can breathe a little bit out there. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not in a leverage situation on every pitch. I mean, when you've got a nice, big, fat lead like that, you can relax, take your time, and, and uh, you know, just, just let your stuff work. And so – that's that's sort of what's going on right now. It's it's the worst of all situations, and for that reason, this is a critical critical stretch. I think we're going to look back, sort of at you know starting in Baltimore and then whatever they end up doing here in Houston, and then on to the Cleveland series. And you know, you would figure that they need to get mm, at least half of these. You know, three out of six, but four out of six was, is probably what you need to do. And if, if they turn that around and, and they go one and five or two and four, they could find themselves really on the outside looking in. Um, and, it, and it's going to be difficult to, to climb back up the ladder. So this is, a, this is a real critical stretch, and there's just not a whole lot, like you said, that you can hang your hat on right now because they're not pitching well and, and they're not swinging the bats. Yeah, and Cleveland did win on, on uh Monday night, and the A's, as we're speaking, are up two to one in the bottom of the ninth uh, over the Royals. So if that plays out, now the Rays are a game out of the second wild card spot. Can I just tell you something? Like this was the same place they were a year ago. <laughs> Is this deja vu all over again? Because the A's are not going to go away. Like the A's have this thing where they just kind of know how to get this wild card every year, and you know, you look up and they win, and they keep winning, and. You know, again, the the Rays have gone through some nice stretches. Um, they probably needed to win, you know, more than 14 games out of these last 21 or whatever it was, you know, when, when they were playing some under 500 teams. Um, but, but the Oakland A's absolutely just seem to be, you know, that nemesis for them to try to get into a wild card playoff. And the same was true a year ago. You know, Cleveland's been scuffling around a little bit. They, you know, going into – Monday night they had lost six out of their last ten games. They've lost their third baseman. You know, you figure, you know, the sad thing for the Rays is they play them at, at the Trop where they have not been very good. They've been a better road team. Um, so they're going to have to, you know, turn that around for that series. But, yeah, I think they're in a real critical stretch, and it's disappointing because this was going to be, you know, this was going to be the matchup. But they'll have Ryan probably – I think Ryan Yarbrough's scheduled to start. Yarbrough versus Garrett Cole, so another good pitching matchup tonight. Yeah. Yeah, of course, Houston. Everybody they throws out there is is, a, is an ace, man. It's they they have no weak spots at all in that uh, in that starting rotation. So we'll see if the Rays can bounce back. But I'm sure Kevin Cash wasn't looking for that 15 to one, you know, deficit uh, in his first series game at Houston. So well, the good thing um, is so, the runs don't carry over. Tomorrow you start over at zero zero. So. You do. You absolutely do. And that's they they that's they've got to find a way to turn that around and. You know, maybe they will. They just need some some success early. Um, I mentioned uh, there was a, a tragic story. You know, we heard early in the day that the, the Montgomery Biscuits, their raised double-A farm team, had canceled a doubleheader that they had scheduled 
and it was because of a tragedy involving you know the 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 organization's family or somebody within the family and then it had subsequently uh, been reported later in the night i think jeff jeff passan might have been the first guy mm-hmm. to report this uh that uh, one of their pitchers blake bivens um just an awful unimaginable tragedy uh, his wife and child and mother among three and and mother-in-law is that yep. is that confirmed okay yes. i know there were three people so his wife child and mother-in-law goodness just where this world has gone mad we're all um shot dead and uh, the wife's brother is in police custody so just an unimaginable tragedy for Blake Vivens and um boy you can see why uh, uh why that organization is is torn up and he's obviously part of the Rays family so that's all we know at, at this point, but uh, just a terrible thing going on with them there. Uh, I was at uh, one, or I guess they call it now the, what, Advent Healthcare Facility Training Center. I got to get used to that because one buck place is how we knew it by its address, but I was at the training facility. And so it turns out that uh, we had seen Justin, uh, Jason Pierre-Paul at the game on Friday night when the Bucks hosted the Cleveland Browns, and he was on the sideline, something he hasn't been doing, um, without the neck brace, which was seemed to be a positive sign. Well, on Monday, he was actually at practice. They had a morning workout, and Jason Pierre-Paul was standing, uh, really, <laughs> sadly, standing with Levante David. You know, there's two of your top defensive players, neither of which can play right now, um, and watching practice and, and did not have – the neck brace on again. Now he did not want to talk. Uh, you know, he declined any interview requests uh, through the Bucks PR. You know, guys, they they told us he wasn't going to be available. But there was a later report, I think, by Tom Palisario from NFL Network. Uh, and I I can't I don't know if this is accurate, true, or just what it means. But basically, the report was that the Bucks have cleared him in the sense that he can begin the rehab process. I don't really know what any of that means. Here's what I think I think, as Peter King would say. I think that the hope was that he had this cervical fracture from the car accident, you know, his Ferrari spun out on I-95 back in May, and the the hope was that, you know, wearing the neck brace, going through, uh, just just allowing that that fracture to heal on its own, that he wouldn't require surgery. Clearly, if he required surgery, that would be it for the year. He'd be done. Um, and so I can only assume now that the neck brace is off and, and, and the signs are fairly positive or so it would seem that that bone has healed or is healing to the extent that he can begin some sort of physical activity. Now, you know, I don't, I don't think he's going to be out there hitting the sled tomorrow. Okay, let's, let's be realistic. I mean, this guy's a long way from being able to play, and frankly, I don't know what he's allowed to do. We were told that there wasn't really any change in his condition, not that that was good or bad, but just simply, you know, they continue to evaluate his progress. I mean, that's then that's sort of where this injury is, right? But in the best-case scenario, you know, they've already said, look, very uh, absolutely unlikely he would play at all in September, probably wouldn't play much, if, if at all, in October. So, you know, you're still, you know, almost eight weeks away from, you know, the guy actually potentially being on the football field. And then we don't know, you know, once he gets in, involved with that and lifting and, and doing various things, at some point he's going to have to put a helmet on. Um, at some point he's going to have to test hitting a sled or doing something physical. 
but nothing can really simulate game speed, you know, before he actually goes out there and tries to play. So, you know, I don't know what risk will be involved if and when he's cleared. Obviously, if he's cleared, he can do it. I mean, remember Mike Allstott had a fused vertebrae and came back unbelievably and played more football uh, and then eventually had to retire as a result of that. But in as much that, you know, it's good to see him around. You know, he wasn't a guy that, you know, typically would come to OTAs anyway. You know, he he figures, I I know what to do. I rush the passer and that sort of thing. Also, um, there's reports that uh, his wife is close to giving birth. I know she's pregnant. So that, that might also be a factor as to why he hasn't been here. But it is a new defense that he needs to learn and those sort of things. So with the cutdowns coming on Saturday at 4 p.m., you got to get to the 53-man roster limit. What I'm pretty sure they'll do, he's currently on the active non-football injury list. He'll stay on that list, and you know they can activate him pretty much any time that he's he's ready to start football activities. But when they do, you know there'll have to be a corresponding move. Um, he would have a number of weeks, I think, to get ready. Um, but you know, again, I think we're I think we're several months from seeing whether or not Jason Pierre-Paul is going to play. And it, it is a business as well, so you have to also consider, you know, what if that time the Bucks are, you know, I don't know, two and two and five, you know, two and six. I mean, is this somebody that um, you're going to want to, you know, pay to play the remaining two months of the season if you feel like, you know, yeah, we're, we're really not going anywhere, so – but it was good to see him, and uh, the news is good. It certainly could could have gone the other way by now. He could be, you know, undergoing surgery. And we know that Jason Pierre-Paul has overcome, you know, just a ton of things. I mean, you know, the fireworks accident, losing, um, you know, so many fingers off his hand and coming back and playing within the same year. Um, and then, you know, of course, last year, you know, racking up 12 and a half sacks. Uh, so, They'd be, they'd be lucky to get him back, and they, they need both those guys that were standing there together. Levante David, too, you know, they're waiting to see if he's going to be ready for the season opener. He had the meniscus surgery, and so they're hopeful, you know, that he'll be able to prepare and play on September 8th against the 49ers. The, the best indication of where guys are at injury-wise for the first week anyway is probably going to be, if not the Tuesday, because they are going to practice, I'm told, uh, on Tuesday of next week. But but usually by Wednesday, when the first injury report comes out, if you're not on the field um, or very close to being on the field by that Wednesday, your big work days are Wednesday and Thursday in the NFL. Friday's sort of a, a light day, two-minute, that sort of thing that they drill. And then Saturday's you know more or less a walkthrough practice. So really next Wednesday we'll have a really good idea about guys like Levante David and Vita Vea and Cam Brait, who is still – out there sort of on the mend as well. We've been able to see certain guys get back, like Anthony Nelson, who hadn't done much anything really in training camp. I don't expect him to play on Thursday, but he's starting to run uh, in a helmet and, and do some things. We will see Justin Evans play in this game in Dallas, which will be good for him to get out there and have some tape. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think there's enough of a resume there that you know, if he's going to be healthy throughout the season, they would go ahead and carry him on the 53-man roster, especially at the safety position. But maybe they want to see him run around and, and see what he can do. So a little bit of information there with uh, Jason Pierre-Paul and some of the guys that are back on the mend. And, of course, the, the Bucks do play in Dallas on Thursday night, although none of the starters will be active. Uh, I had a chance to sit down with my buddy cop, Eduardo Encina, 
and give you a little preview of that game and what we can expect over the weekend with respect to all the rock. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Roster decisions that Coach Bruce Arians and Jason Light have to make. Eduardo, we've got uh, the final preseason game on Thursday night at Dallas. And a couple things uh, just to catch up on what's gone on in practice. Jason Pierre-Paul made an appearance, and I guess we've seen pictures of this, but not in an egg brace, which has to be some kind of progress, I would think. Yeah, I mean, he showed up to practice on uh, Tuesday and was on the sideline in Jersey, uh, no pads, obviously, but I think the, the thing we can take away from that is, well, to back up again, he was on the sideline pregame uh, last week against the the Browns. Right. But, um, you know, to see him back with the team, I know there was a big question here, you know, and I think it, it lingered within, you know, what is the long-term future with JPP is, you know, why hasn't he necessarily been around mm-hmm. uh, the facility? And, you know, Bruce Arians, you know, was pretty clear, and he said, you know, to me, you know, I, it, it's it's fine that he's not here. That you know, I, he said mentioned that I don't want him to get nicked up on the sideline or anything like that. That this is about his recovery. And you know, following on social media, uh, you know, he, JPP posts a lot, and mm-hmm. you know, he always had that that bulky neck brace on. And I think the one thing that we take from seeing him uh, last week and seeing him to uh, or Tuesday is that you know, he doesn't have that. So either he's taking it off for public display when he's around the Bucks, or he's getting better. So obviously there's still a lot of questions in terms of, of his recovery, when he can start doing anything. But obviously it's better to see him here than not here, I think. Oh, yeah. And you know, when he was here, he was just hanging out with another one of the, the injured Bucks, Levante David, and, and talking to him and catching up. So you know, maybe we see a little bit more of him here. You know, I mean, maybe it's, it's a thing where – uh, you know, you can tell it's watching when we watched him walk off the field today, you know, talking to some of the defensive linemen. And, so again, and I think that's really where the question surfaced in terms of why he wasn't here, because, you know, no doubt he can offer a lot of help, especially to some of the younger guys on, on the, uh, you know, some of the younger defensive linemen, outside linebackers, defenders, anything. Because as we know, Jason Pierre-Paul has been through a lot in his career. Oh, He's been through a lot in his life. Mm. And, um, you know, t- his presence at this facility with, Anyone who's wearing a Bucks uniform uh, has to be a, a good thing. Well, a couple things on JPP that I, I discovered last year. I mean, this is a guy that had a $250,000 workout bonus in his contract for years and never worked out, never came to any facility, and was willing to forfeit a quarter of a million dollars. Wouldn't that be nice to be in that position? But that's sort of – and his whole thing, and I remember Dirk Cutter saying it a year ago, he's like, yeah, right, sure you'll be able to do your job. You know, but his whole thing was, I know how to rush the passer, and that's kind of what Bruce Arians exactly. said. Um, the fact that he wasn't wearing a neck brace, I guess you could take his progress. Um, but how about the fact that you just mentioned it, Levante David and JPP standing there watching, who were two of the best defenders they had last year. They don't have Gerald McCoy. Now they don't have Davida Vea. So 
you look at not that last year's defense was great, but these were your playmakers, okay? And 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 they don't have use of them right now. Of course, they hope Levante's back. But it's been interesting to to sort of the guy would never count the guy out. He blew his hand off, yeah, and managed to play the same season. So you know some things you can't wish that get better, like like a broken bone in your in, in a cervical fracture. But if he doesn't need surgery, the word is that sometime in November that. You know, there's a possibility he could come back and play, and if the Bucks are still in it, then that would be great. That would be great for them. Um, they are going to play Thursday night. None of the starters are going to play. We're going to see a little bit of Ryan Griffin, I think, maybe to start the game, but he's now the number two quarterback. Um, so without Blaine Gabbert, although you know, I've been also surprised by him because I guess he had the the, the sling back on today. I think I saw him wearing mm-hmm. it for a little while, but I've also seen him walking around without it. Apparently, even it is the left shoulder, which isn't his throwing shoulder. But I, we'll have to see how they do this whole roster uh, you know, adjustment by 4 p.m. on Saturday. But it looks like they're going to keep him and carry him um, because this doesn't look like a long-term injury, at least. Yeah, and obviously what that says is that you know, this is more of a short-term thing than a long-term thing. Those, those you know, dislocated sh- uh, shoulders can be tricky because yeah. you know, generally they say you know, four to six weeks. But uh, you know, obviously with this one, they think it's going to be a little bit shorter you know, it, it, the damage didn't occur to, you know, the, the stuff around the dislocation. That's mm-hmm. a big, a big thing in terms of, of, of recovery time. So, you know, it's 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 interesting, and I think we'll, we will find out more by finding out if they do, you know, carry Blaine Gabbert on because that does definitely say that you know it's not going to be a, a two long, month yeah. a two month thing into the season. Yeah. You know that, that that he will be able to be the backup quarterback sooner than later. So, but like you said, you know, in Dallas we're going to see. Uh, you know, a lot of reserves. We're going to see a lot of Vincent Testaverde Jr., yeah. who you wrote about uh, earlier this week. And, you know, that, that's kind of a, a – you, you covered his dad. And, you know, this is a probably – this is a pretty cool – Sadly, I did. <laughs> this is that's, a pretty cool story, though, right? I came in at the end of Vinny's uh, career here in Tampa. At that point, uh, I think Ray Perkins was on his way out. Uh, and, uh, of course, then he had Richard Williamson. They, they traded for Chris Chandler. Those two guys went into got into a brawl that year in the locker room, and then you know then Sam White's came here for a year, and then eventually he ended up, you know, going on to the Cleveland Browns, and then the Browns became the Ravens, and and so on. The guy played 20 seasons, and I'm telling you, Benny was an, an amazing thrower of the football. Of course, he had every physical gift. He was a terrific golfer. He could do anything. Six foot what five and. Um, you know, just uh, just a great athlete. His son is not as athletically blessed, unfortunately. He's only about six foot, I think. But you think about this kid, right, who grew up, and, and it's hard for fathers and sons to begin with. Imagine having your dad is the number one overall pick and, you know, played at Miami and, and you know, had this 20-year NFL career, and then you decide, you know what, I think I'll play quarterback. <laughs> And, and you play a Jesuit, but you grow up primarily in Tampa. I mean, he was, you know, Vinny played one year in Dallas, and I think that Vincent, um, his son, was about eight years old then, so he barely remembers really living there. Um, but, but for one day, right, at least, and we'll see what happens in the game, but for one day you get to wear the, the uniform of the home NFL team and not just be on the sideline or, you know, no, you're going to play in this game. And you're going to play against other guys trying to make the NFL roster. And this is your chance, you know, to, to show them something or to show, you know, somebody else, whether it's the XFL or another NFL team, that you can, you can actually do this. And so he's got to be nervous. His parents are going to be there. 
Uh, he told me that once he takes the first snap, that he's he sort of calms down after that and he's all in. But I'm excited to see him play, and I hope he does well. You know, Bruce Arians, because he's been away for a couple weeks, he knows the offense. But clearly, even in the case of the other players that will be playing, and there's some guys that are still new, relatively new, that are either coming off you know injuries or they've just been here a week or so, they're going to keep this pretty basic. This is just going to be sort of a, a, of a, uh, a vanilla-type, you know, what do you say, 10 to 15 pass plays that they know they can run against certain fronts. And, uh, and, and the, the idea is to try to let these guys play fast. So we'll see how he does. You wrote a, a story about there's some position battles in some areas on this team that aren't quite settled yet. Injuries are going to play a big part of that. But there's some players, as Bruce Arians told us, that make me not want to cut you. There's right. some guys that are in that position. Yeah, I mean, he uh... – you know, using his words, you know, he said, you know, someone asked, you know, what what is the message you send to some of these guys who are you know, on the bubble going into this game on Thursday? And he said, you know, play your ass off. And uh, like you said, don't make me not cut you. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's some interesting, uh, you know, position battles coming in. And, uh, you know, there's, he said, you know, there's, there's still about 10 spots that can be, you know, won or lost here. And, and a lot of those are pretty interesting positions. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. wide receiver, tight end, obviously the offensive line, defensive line, linebacker, both mm-hmm. inside and outside. Um, you know, we've talked about the kicker battle over and over again. That might not even be the most interesting one no. of, of, of all of them. So, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see. And, and, and each one has its own narrative. You know, you have, you know, one of the probably the, the bigger ones right now is, uh, you know, Bobo Wilson and, and Scotty Miller for that fifth receiver spot. And, yeah, it's tight. You know, Bobo Wilson has shown that he can be a, contr- a real big contributor in special teams. Mm-hmm. I think he's grown as a receiver, and you know he, he's he's shown his value to this team this preseason and even dating back, you know, to last year. And you know you've got Scotty Miller, a guy you you drafted, a guy that that you you know you think that you when you drafted you thought you kind of got a steal because he wasn't you know very highly uh, you know. I want you to were recruited, but that's what it, you know in terms of scouting. Yeah, right. You know, until he 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 ran a four three and showed off some pretty blazing speed. Yeah. So you don't necessarily want to you know lose him or risk losing him. And uh, so then you know this is a, this is a tough battle. Miller obviously uh, was out for a couple weeks with a hamstring injury, right. so he's playing from behind. He's probably got to show a little bit more right now. But what he's really got to show is you know as much as it's a competition between the two of those guys and this is where the whole thing is so fluid is yeah. you know, you've got to prove okay maybe i don't beat out boba wilson but i've got to prove that that this team needs a six receiver and not really a six receiver this team needs me right and you know at the at the cost of, of perhaps going short somewhere else in, in another unit and sure. that's really kind of uh when you're looking at a lot of these things, special teams is going to play a big role mm-hmm. in, in in deciding a lot of these last few spots. But at the same time, um, it's really kind of uh, you know establishing that value. You know, what do these guys mean in terms of on special teams, how they contribute elsewhere, right. and uh, you know where where those last few things fit in. It's so fluid, so many moving parts, injuries, how guys have played, history, how the coaches like them. Sure, There's so many different things at play. Yeah, and all, and and I think you said it. I think the injuries are the biggest thing because you know uh, right now if Anthony Anthony O'Claire and Cameron Brait, who you plan on carrying on your roster, if those two guys are even iffy for week one then you might have to go a little heavier at the tight end position, which maybe you weren't planning on doing. Right. Maybe now you have to keep four, maybe even five, 
at least initially for that first week. Um, and so that affects it. Maybe you go less on running backs, you know, in which case, you know, we, we, we would assume that, at least in my mind, that the first three at this point are probably Peyton Barber, Ronald Jones, and um, Daria Gumbawale. I mean, I think he's probably made a better case yeah. even than Andre Ellington, who's a veteran, and, and, and this is a business, and he makes more money, and, and, and all that sort of factors into it. If he's on the roster week one and you're a vested veteran, meaning you played more than four years, that whole salary is guaranteed for the season. So um, the kicking situation, I think Gay, we've talked about this, is probably going to win that. But for Cairo Santos, this is a big week because there's a lot of teams in the NFL, Atlanta, um, I think the Jets, um, several other teams, Cincinnati, have had just sort of atrocious camps with their kickers. And so he's likely to get a job somewhere. So all of that is uh, is going to be very, very important. I want to go back a little bit to last Friday because we really um, haven't talked a lot about that game, and it was the last time that we're going to see a lot of the starters. What did you make of just the amount of pressure and sacks and the offensive line getting overwhelmed by what is, a, on paper, a pretty good Cleveland defensive line? Yeah, I mean, obviously – you know, going into that game, there was a concern about the offensive line, but it was more about the depth, right? Yes, yes. It was more about, you know, beyond these these top, these top front five and maybe, you know, when we look at you know, maybe a couple guys who, who come in behind them, mm-hmm. you know, what, what's what's left beyond that? Right. But now, all of, a, all of a sudden, you had this big concern about those those five guys, and especially on the right side. Yeah. Um, so, and yes, I think the Browns are as advertised in terms of, you know, some of the hype that they're getting, especially on defense. Mm-hmm. But... You know, if this team, I guess the, the bigger the concern, even more so than the sacks, is how that plays into what this team plans on doing offensively. Right. You know, I mean, like, Jameis Winston is going to not have very much time regardless to, to choose his receiver, to, to do his checkdowns, to drop the ball off. So when you combine that with – and that's obviously been a big emphasis in camp. So when you combine that with, you know – Guys missing blocks, one-on-one matchups in a lot of yeah. cases. Oh, yeah. you know, that's really the big concern there, um, mm-hmm. and 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 that's not going to change. You know, I mean, this is this is the offense. This is the way it's going to be. So, yeah. you know, either those guys have to be better with that, or it's not going to work. Yeah, I thought uh, particularly, um, you know, Alex Kappa they had raved about throughout training camp, and and look, they, prior to this game, those guys had played all of one series in each game, so really didn't get much yeah. game time, which is which is also part of it. Um, but he was he was overwhelmed. He was manhandled, uh, you know, and you don't want to see that. You don't want to see guys getting beat one-on-one. DeMar Dotson looked a little old um, and a little creaky against Cameron Wake, but, you know, I've also seen him fight back. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I wouldn't get too, like, I've heard people, especially on talk radio, which is known for this, sort of like, oh, you know, the house is on fire, you know, it's um, sky is falling, that kind of thing. I don't think it's that bad, um, but it wasn't a good look. Like a couple of those were probably on Jameis, who absolutely had a guy he could check the ball down to one time. Um, so, which know, Bruce Arians mentioned, you know, yeah, the, the and, day and, after after he looked at the film. Yeah, and I think the other thing is too is that you know, even if they have a weakness and it's a bad matchup any given Sunday. I know Bruce Arians wants to get five guys out, but you know what? He can't get his quarterback hit that much. Yeah. So you would make an adjustment. The thing about the offensive line is you can cover some things up because you can slide protection to one side. Um, you, you can keep a tight end at chip or a running back. You can do some stuff to help your quarterback 
Now, it's at the expense of, of obviously getting more people out in the route. Um, but I'm not, as, I'm not as freaked out by it because I think, look, all around the league, if I pick up, a, 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 you know, go online or read about what teams need, it seems like everybody needs offensive linemen. And that's because they're just not coming out of college ready to play right now. Even if you draft them, they're not ready to play. Yeah, and, and Bruce Arians made that point. He's made that point since rookie minicamp, basically, yeah. is that, you know, offensive linemen aren't, you know, they're just not developed for the pro game when they come out of college. You know, they're, they're, they're not, you know, they don't learn to, uh, you know, put their foot in the ground, their hand in the ground. And, they're not uh, in the huddle. Right, they're, yeah, they're not in the huddle. So <laughs> yeah. there, there's so many different things that are different that they have to get adjusted to. Oh, and there's the speed of the game, too, that changes right. from the NFL to college, too. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see because, you know, again, when we were looking at this this time last week, it was more about the depth and, you know, maybe does this team go out and, you know, five you add to its depth on the line. Use a waiver wire. Yeah, yeah to try that. to find better players behind the guys they have. I think they're still going to be active on waivers and in free agency if there's some guys that, that present themselves. But like I said, everybody wants offensive yeah. linemen. You might be able to find better guys than the ones you have. They're fifth in the waiver process, which is for guys that have four years or less. That'll start, um, you know, 24 hours after the cuts come in at, at Saturday at 4. I expect them to, to shake up at least the bottom five, maybe maybe more guys on on that roster. So there's players that maybe initially Saturday at 4 o'clock, you'll say, oh, cool, so-and-so made the team. Well, as Bruce has told us, don't be so comfortable if you're one of the last five or the last ten if you're on the practice squad, um, you know, because things are going to change and they're, they're going to change, you know, sort of fast. So... It's, it's going to be, um, you know, we're, we're at the point now where, you know, this is the last sort of evaluation. And then next week it starts for real. Their schedule, you know, the players are going to be off. The team will be cutting their roster down. They'll come back, I guess, in practice on Monday, I want to say. Tuesday, um, maybe. Uh, oh, yeah, they're going to be off Monday. That's right. They're off Labor Day. They're going to practice Tuesday and go through the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and prepare for San Francisco. Here's what we don't know. What is Cameron break going to do he's been out how is Levante David's knee going to respond for the first week um you know there are and Vita Vea who when he was injured they said well we're not ruling him out for week one doesn't look like he'll make it necessarily but you know when we'll find out is probably next Wednesday when the first injury report comes out when those guys are out there preparing for San Francisco and then it's like you know full go into uh into the regular season so Final preseason game Thursday night in Dallas. I'll be there. We'll be here again on Friday to talk to Bruce Arians and have the follow for you there. And then lots of cuts leading up to Saturday at 4 o'clock. So keep it right here on TampaBay.com. And you can always listen to us on Sports Day Tampa Bay. Thanks, buddy cop. Thank you. All right. Always good to sit down and talk Bucks football, of course, with Eduardo Encina. You can check out our coverage there on TampaBay.com. Matt Baker, our college football writer, is going to be on the uh, big show tomorrow. We'll look back at the Florida-Miami game from last weekend, and we'll look ahead to USF-Wisconsin. We've got that on Friday night. Then over the weekend, week one in college football, I guess they're calling it, Florida State, Boise State, and big national game, Auburn and Oregon. So we'll, we'll dissect some of that. The Bucks have their walkthrough today or this morning before they board a plane, and they will travel to Dallas to play the Cowboys on Thursday. Final preseason game for both teams. Don't expect any starters to play. Maybe Ryan Griffin might start the game at quarterback for the Bucks, but 
won't be in there long with the uh, injury, of course, to Blaine Gabbert. And the Rays will resume their series and hope to bounce back from that bloodletting that they had in Houston. It'll be Ryan Yarbrough on the mound for the Rays against Garrett Cole. So a good pitching matchup there as well. As always, we're here Monday through Friday. We appreciate you guys listening. For Steve Verstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.